Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Boy, Sydney Powell, we hardly knew you. Let's play the let's play the the clip from her from just last Thursday. This is stunning, heartbreaking, infuriating, and the most unpatriotic acts I can even imagine for people in this country to have participated in in any way, shape, or form. And I want the American public to know right now that we will not be intimidated. American patriots are fed up with the corruption from the local level to the highest level of our government. And we are going to take this country back. We are not going to be intimidated. We are not going to back down. We are going to clean this mess up now. President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it. And we are going to reclaim the United States of America for the people who vote for freedom. Yeah, well, apparently she's going to have to do that someplace else because uh, late yesterday they made her an official unpersonal with the Trump campaign. Not only they didn't actually fire her, they just sort of implied that she was never really part of the team, that she was kind of on her own, despite the fact that she was front and center at the Trump campaign press conference as part of their elite strike force. Despite the fact the president actually tweeted out her name as being on that strike force. And uh, despite the fact that that clip I just played for you was retweeted by the official Twitter account of the Republican National Committee. So joining us this morning to sort out all of this as we continue to see the Trump campaign push its uh, its agenda of delay, deny and spread as much chaos as possible. uh, Our own constitutional scholar, Kim Whaley. Kim, thanks for joining me. Great to be here, Charlie. There's just a lot of a lot of dumb legal stuff going on out there. I'm 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 sorry. We were talking before about the Pennsylvania decision. You're, you're going to ask your students to actually read it. Yes, I assigned it to my 1L first year law students. We're learning about basic pleading, how you bring a case, and what the what you can and cannot do. And that opinion reads like a midterm exam for first year law students because the case was so flawed. The lawyers really should be sanctioned. It, it's sort of a good example of like, don't be like this. Just don't be like this. So let's just stick with Sidney Powell for a moment because she had spent days out there with the most bizarre conspiracy theories, the Venezuelan communist Hugo Chavez conspiracy to flip the elections, this completely fictitious idea that the Dominion voting machines were, were programmed to flip the votes. And that was okay. But it seemed like some sometime over the weekend she crossed that line between insanity and political inconvenience when she started to suggest that the Republican governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who's pretty Trumpy himself, that Brian Kemp had been somehow bribed by the, the Dominion, the, the, the voting machine company to certify the election. And apparently that was too much because that's when you start implying that Republicans are on the take from dead Hugo Chavez, apparently that uh, that that makes you too politically toxic. I mean, is, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just don't it's really difficult to understand where that line is drawn. I mean, even my 11 year old understood that a dead person can't um, sway a, an election in 2020. I mean, she she raised it with me. Uh, can you explain this, mom? And, I, you know, I, I have no answer for that. But but, you yeah, know, what what 
took Sidney Powell to sort of uh, the, the the leading the charge for fake democracy to somehow a non-person. I, I don't understand. I wish I could understand that line because yeah. we need to find it. We need more of it. Yeah, it's it's not the it's not the fact that she was pushing absolutely insane, lunatic, bullshit, you know, batshit, crazy conspiracy theories. They were okay with that. It's when she started going after other Republicans in a state that's going to have a special election that was too much there. So she had tweeted out over the weekend: Georgia is probably going to be the first state I'm going to blow up. The filing in the state will be biblical. And then Jonathan Swan sort of summarized it: the publicly stated position of President Trump legal team is that the reason Trump lost Georgia is because Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, has been bribed by a Venezuelan front company in cahoots with the CIA to throw elections to communists. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, I mean, the problem, Charlie, is that, you know, people believe this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Barack Obama has been you know talking about truth decay. Uh, and this is a serious problem, regardless of whether... You know, I mean, of course, Donald Trump will leave on January 20th, but uh, this sort of American appetite to believe falsehoods and lies and conspiracy theories uh, is taken hold and it's deeply, deeply damaging. It is. And people will believe it. So we're talking about this Pennsylvania decision. This was the decision by Judge Matthew Bran which is yes. really epic. I mean, this is scorching by by the standards of the law. Judges don't usually slap you down quite this hard, but but he does say very explicitly that the plaintiffs in the case are asking the court to disenfranchise almost 7 million voters. And I love this line. One might expect that when seeking such a startling outcome, a plaintiff would come formidably armed with compelling, compelling legal arguments and factual proof of rampant corruption. Instead, this court has been presented with strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations, unpled in the operative complaint and unsupported by evidence. And as you look across all of the dozens of lawsuits that they have filed, it's really amazing that the Trump campaign has not actually proved a single case of fraud or flipped a single vote, have they? No, and I, a lot of these are not even alleging fraud. In this case, one of the things that upset the judge was that one there are a couple voters who were complaining that their absentee ballots were improperly disqualified. And his response was, well, if, if the answer to that is to count your ballots, not to throw out 7 million ballots. So the, the logical disconnect is, is really astonishing. And my guess is what I'm going to hear from my students is why aren't these lawyers being sanctioned? Why isn't there accountability for, frankly, abusing the legal system this way? And across the board, uh, that's one of the biggest problems we're seeing in American democracy is the lack of tickets for speeding. And it, you know, as a law professor, it makes me sad to see now that's infiltrated the legal system. And the courts are jumping up and down and saying, listen, we can't do this for you. We're bound by, by rules and laws. But this kind of opens the opens the door for more of this this garbage around elections and and you know that's really a problem going forward. No, it, it does seem at this point that their the strategy is just simply to delay, to slow everything down, 
take in, in Michigan, for example, later today, people will know the answer to this by the time they hear this podcast. But um, I mean, I'm hoping for the best, but kind of expecting that Republicans will behave the way Republicans have behaved in 2020, and they might hold up the certification of Michigan's votes. That's not going to change the ultimate outcome of those 16 electoral votes. But, you know, what is the end game here? I mean, are they hoping to find a random Supreme Court that will, in fact, throw out hundreds of thousands of votes and will flip the state? Are they thinking that's possible to happen? I don't think so. I think there's a couple things. One is just to to sort of kneecap Joe Biden's um, sort of unprecedented mandate in terms of the percentages that of voters that, you know, exceeded J- JFK, right? I mean, president after president, the, the Biden mandate's pretty strong. But I think the idea is to just create this Im- illusion that he is not duly elected and that is going to make things difficult. I also think this is going to create sort of some energy around making it harder to vote going forward and more control over the the voting process by keeping people from the ballot that people have been fighting, you know, since uh, since the 15th Amendment. Right. Um, And certainly through the civil rights era. And I think this strengthens going forward the ability um, to keep people from the ballot box as a means of of retaining power. As far as this particular election, I mean, the the critical date, of course, there are two of them. One is December 8th. Mm -hmm. That's the date by which under federal law, um, if there isn't a count in a particular state, in theory, a Republican led legislature could hand the ballot, uh, hand the slate of electors to Donald Trump, regardless of the popular vote. I mean, whether that would hold up in court, I don't know. That's the kind of thing that could go to the Supreme Court. You would, uh, Trump would need more than one state, have to do it in multiple states. Uh, The 14th, of course, the electors meet and cast their electoral votes. And then January 6th is a critical date. If there is uh, a state that doesn't have a certified uh, you know, slate of electors, then it would only take one Republican from each House of Congress to challenge um, the ultimate counting of the votes. And uh, in order for that challenge to be carried, you'd have to have both sides agree with it. So cl- clearly Democrats would would um, would say no to that. But if, if there is a situation where certain states literally aren't certified at that at that point, then I think that strengthens the Republican hand to sort of mess with it in Congress. And there just aren't a lot of answers. Uh, in the law to this, because normally people go along with the winner because that serves the interests of democracy long term. And it's just baffling to me that so many in the Republican Party think this is OK for their children and grandchildren to basically trash American democracy. I, I don't get it. I just don't get See, it, Charlie. Well, I, also, I think there is an element of craziness here because it, the vast majority of elected Republicans know exactly what happened, know that the election um, is over, that Joe Biden won, won decisively, got more than 80 million votes, is going to win by more than 7 million votes. He's going to have a larger popular vote margin than Barack Obama got in 2012. And yet they're kind of waiting this out. And But it feels like they're kind of riding this tiger uh, where they're thinking, okay, there's going to come a date where I'm going to be able to safely get off, whether it's the certification or the dates you just mentioned. But as the, as the base gets ginned up more and more and more, they're not demanding investigations or recounts. They're demanding that Donald Trump just be declared the victor. I mean, it's, it, it is interesting listening to some of these, these protests. And so you wonder... Are, and, and that's what I asked in my newsletter this morning. If you're a Bulwark Plus member, you get it. It is, you know, are they going to find themselves married to this 2020 birtherism 
for the next four years? Are they going to be married to this lie about voter fraud without any evidence because they can't get off? Because Donald Trump's never going to give them a get out of jail free card. And the base will regard any sort of compromise or acknowledgement of reality as a stab in the back and a surrender. Right. I mean, it's more of a political calculation, but there's also potentially a way of running in four years on sort of the the stolen election, which is I put that in quotes because it's it's deeply ironic. But but once Trump is out of office, I mean, the you know huge question with respect to his personal criminal liability and that of his companies, I think, you know, as a private citizen, that's another conversation. I think he's he's liable there. Um, but how much control will he have? as a private citizen over the Republican Party? I mean, will he be able to tweet people in and out of their jobs? And if that's the case, then it's no longer a, a serious c- competing party to the Democrats going forward. It's a, a monarchy, pro-monarchy party. And and then the bigger question is, okay, what does that that what does that do for the health of American democracy? I mean, I, I happen to think it's good to have two healthy political parties that can actually debate policy and that uh, give people real options. But I, I the, you know, the vice grip that Donald Trump has on on the Republican Party, I, I don't know if that's going away on January twentieth. Well, and and but this is a choice. It's a choice by Republicans what they're going to do now. Some Republicans are starting to peel off. Pat Toomey, uh, senator from Pennsylvania, peeled off after that the the, uh, the court decision by the federal court in Pennsylvania, saying, "Okay, it's done. It's over. Um, we need to acknowledge that." Lisa Murkowski issued a statement uh, yesterday. There are a couple of other folks that are Larry been, Hogan. Been, yep. Larry Hogan was very very strong. Stop golfing and concede. Uh, Chris Christie uh, was right. on ABC yesterday. We have a soundbite of Chris Christie. This is what he had to say yesterday. Is it finally time for this to end? Yes. And, and here's the reason why. The president has had an opportunity to access the courts. And I said to you, you know, George, starting at 2.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning, if you've got the evidence of fraud presented. And what's happened here is, quite frankly, the conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. Mm. Sidney Powell accusing Governor Brian Kemp of a crime on television, yet being unwilling to go on TV um, and defend and lay out the evidence that she supposedly has. Um, this is outrageous conduct by any lawyer. And notice, George, they won't do it inside the courtroom. They allege fraud outside the courtroom, but when they go inside the courtroom, they don't plead fraud and they don't argue fraud. This is what I was concerned about at 2.30 in the morning on Wednesday night. Listen, I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. And we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. You have an obligation to present the evidence. The evidence has not been presented. And you must conclude, as Tucker Carlson even concluded the other night, that if you're unwilling to come forward and present the evidence, it must mean the evidence doesn't exist. That's what I was concerned about starting on election night. And I remain concerned today. I think it's wrong. I think what you've heard, lots of Republicans starting to say this. I said it on election night, and I hope more say going forward because um, the country is what has to matter the most. As much as I'm a strong Republican and I love my party, it's the country that has to come first. Okay, good. Good for Chris Christie. Although I think it highlights the fact that a lot of Republicans have not said the same thing, and and they are still kind of hunkered down. He made a very interesting point, though, Kim, um, about the the difference between what Republicans are willing to say on Twitter and in public, but what they're not, but not willing to say in a court of law. 
because there, I mean, there is a very stark difference. It's all fraud, fraud, fraud until you get through that courthouse door and then it, then it just disappears. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Snaps for Chris Christie. I mean, I couldn't have put it better myself in terms of what's at stake here. And as I said before, you know, lawyers can be sanctioned. They can lose their bar license uh, for, for putting arguments before courts that aren't based on facts and based on actual legal precedent. I mean, the, the judge, uh, the district federal judge, as you mentioned, also called the pleading a Frankenstein's monster because it was so <laughs> poorly put together from a legal standpoint. Again, first year law student, here's a, here's a midterm exam on the ABCs of baby lawyering that hasn't been satisfied here. And people unfortunately talk about judges based on their political party. But one of the beauties of the legal system is l- they are bound by laws. They're bound by rules of evidence. They're bound by rules of civil procedure and criminal procedure and the Constitution. They, there's certain things judges just cannot do. Um, and we're seeing this, as Chris Christie indicates. The irony I find, in part, um, Charlie, and we talked about this throughout the impeachment, as if you recall, during that, quote, trial, unquote, where there was uh, a strong I think public sentiment and certainly from the Democratic side to actually present evidence in the trial regarding uh, alleged wrongdoing uh, on the part of the president of the United States, the Republican response was, uh, no, we're not going to actually have any uh, an actual trial with evidence because this needs to be resolved in 2020 on November 3rd by the American right. people through an election. And, <laughs> and here we are. That happened. And now we're pretending it didn't happen in that, as Sidney Powell said, the president won by a, quote, landslide. I mean, that's just sheer fiction. That's Alice in Wonderland on drugs. And uh, unfortunately, Americans have an appetite, again, for fiction. They're, they're, they are voting on sentiment. They're voting on feelings, not on facts. And we need get, to get back to, to facts. Yeah, th- this is the distur- there are so many disturbing elements to this, including in- including that. Uh, and and I I had a piece over the weekend where I said this is going to get worse. Uh, Fox News was only the first circle of the right wing media hell that you know Rudy Giuliani can stand up and spew these kinds of completely fictitious allegations because he knows that there's going to be there will be outlets who will carry them, who will advance them, and millions of people who will believe them. So that if Fox News won't push the conspiracy theories. There's always one America network news, you know, OAN, uh, and there's there's Newsmax, which is jumping in there. There's a whole series of of various uh, of, of websites. Uh, par, you know, Twitter may uh, flag some of the misinformation, but there's always Parler. So there's the there's a shift to the crazy on the part of the right wing media that no matter how bad things were, and they've been really really bad they're about to get worse. And the fact that there are people who want to believe this, I mean, this is going to be a legend that's going to be around for a very, very long time. It's also interesting, though, that so since they can't prove any fraud, it has become so much more naked. You you have this very explicit push to have state legislatures. Uh, and I want to talk about the legality of that state legislatures just meeting and voting to overturn the result of the election that you you had Donald Trump met with two top Republicans in Michigan over the weekend who actually went to the White House. And apparently one of the things that uh, Trump has been hoping for is that the Michigan Republican legislature, the Pennsylvania Republican legislature, will just simply uh, name a slate of electors for for him. My understanding is that there's no end of the law that that can happen. You, you tell know, me. 
I, you know, I'll, I'll, I have to be honest. I wish that were the case. Um, you know, I, I, under the, the the in the Constitution, it indicates that electors are chosen by the legislature of the state. So there's two words there: legislature and state. I think the question, and there there's you know federal statute that makes as I mentioned, December 8th, the safe harbor deadline. It's the safe harbor deadline is the reason in 2000 that the Supreme Court did not allow Florida to go, to go back and do a uniform recount across the country, across the state because the deadline essentially passed for the states to change the process by which they choose electors. Uh, but in theory, a, a Republican-led legislature could could hold an election, hold a uh, basically a meeting and vote on a decision to basically determine that the election is unclear. So we're going to give the electors to X. And I agree with you that it seems outrageous that they could, in theory, um, ignore entirely the popular vote. That would be a constitutional question. But there is no express right to vote in the original constitution. This is part of the reasons we have all of this ambiguity when it comes to voting. And I think the question in the Supreme Court would be, can, if you have a Democratic governor that refuses to sign that slate of electors into law, um, would that be constitutional if just the Republican legislatures did it? Would it require bicameralism because the word state is also in, this, in the Constitution? And I discussed this on my IGTV series, Simple Politics with Jamie Raskin. And, and you know, uh, he he strongly believed it would be unconstitutional. But this is a moment, uh, Charlie, where we just don't have express answers necessarily. A lot of it comes down to norms and respecting the rule of law and respecting the, the, the reason why we have a constitution and a separated powers, which is separated powers, which is so that we don't have a, a sort of a, a monarchy that with unlimited power, where the power comes from God to the King and no one can challenge that. That's where we're headed in this, in this moment. If this, these kind of arguments are, per, are purchased, I don't think, even the conservatives on the court would go for that. No, I don't think they would either. Okay, so I have a statutory question, and you, you correct me if any of the, the, the facts of my question are, are wrong. My understanding is that there is a federal law um, that was passed after the disputed election of 1876 that laid out how these votes were going to be counted and gave a special role to governors in certifying that the governor actually is the one who certifies the election. Also, that the courts have said in the past that, yes, legislatures have the right to determine how the electors are apportioned, but once they've given it to the electorate, they can't change that after the election. So that up until November 3rd, they could have changed the way electors were distributed, but they're not able to do so afterwards. So those two things, the power that the governors have and the fact that the courts have been relatively consistent, I mean, have been consistent in the past saying, yeah, you can't change it after the election. Okay. And number one, you're referring to the Electoral Count Act, which yes. sets forth the December 8th date. It sets forth the December 14th date for the electors to meet. And it does talk about the procedures that would apply in Congress on the on January 6th if there's a con, if there's a contested vote. As I indicated, it would only take one member of um, each House, Council. Republican, to challenge it. And yes, under that statute, it's the certification of the of the governor 
on that date that counts unless both houses or both sides, frankly, agree. Um, there's a, I don't know what actually what the vote count is. I assume it's a majority um, agree that there's a particular problem with the certification. So lacking that certification does create ambiguity potentially on January 8th with respect to whether the Democrats could, you know, just vote down any challenge to a particular uh alleged certification, right? Or if, if it came in without a certification in a particular yeah. state, that would be a problem. Um, with respect to, frankly, the question of whether it's um, pre or post uh, the actual election date that the electors could, could shift their votes, mm -hmm. there is no Supreme Court case on that. Mm -hmm. So so it hasn't come down from the high court necessarily how that would go. And as I said, if you look at the lower court or the decisions um, through the courts in Bush versus Gore in 2000, uh, the, it really, the issue came down to a recount and the fact that across the state, the processes for doing recounts were, were not uniform. And then basically the Supreme Court said that's a violation of equal protection. We can't allow that to happen unless you have a uniform process in the state of Florida. But we're at now at December 8th. It's too late for the state legislature to go back and uh, adopt a uniform process for the entire state of Florida. So we're not going to allow the recount. That's essentially what the argument is. And that argument came back in this Pennsylvania case, uh, this scathing decision on Saturday. The Trump campaign's argument is, listen, um, it's not it wasn't clear across the state of Pennsylvania whether what the processes were for curing your ballot if it turns out you had a problem. Um, and, and, you know, at the, 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 the court in Pennsylvania said, listen, there are so many flaws in this. I won't get into the details, but yeah. in, in particular that the plaintiff, the Trump campaign doesn't have standing to sue. But I don't think that there is a clear statement from the Supreme Court of the United States that that the popular vote is set in stone as of November 3rd. And it's certainly not necessarily in the in, um, you know, set yeah. in the Constitution wow. expressly. So in 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 Michigan, um, if and again, people will know by the time you listen to this uh, podcast, what the, the the canvas board in, in Michigan has done, it's two Democrats, two Republicans, they're supposed to be basically ministerial, if in fact, um, they pull the stunt of not certifying the election, there are there are two, uh, two immediate remedies, um, the Democrats could uh, take that to court, uh, basically have a court order them to certify the election or apparently in Michigan, the Democratic governor there can just fire the two Republican members of the uh, of the of the canvassing board and replace them. But of course, that that creates this legend that somehow, uh, you know, you, you used a political strong arm tactic. You know, in the end, it's it's not going to work. So I have, I have another question for you. So in Wisconsin, we're having a recount. And I, th I think I mentioned this before. It's not really a recount because it's not going to change the votes. It's really about throwing out as many votes as possible to flip the state to Trump. So the recount is taking place in only two counties. We have 72 counties, the only two counties, Milwaukee County, heavily Democratic, and Dane County, heavily Democratic. Uh, most of the minority votes in Wisconsin take place, um, are, are cast in Milwaukee County. In some of the wards, the Trump folks have been objecting to every single absentee ballot. If they're folded, if the signatures aren't right, if the dates are not right, if uh, addresses have been filled in. So the plan is to challenge enough of these early absentee ballots and mail-in ballots to randomly draw down enough votes in these two counties to give Trump the lead in Wisconsin. So this would 
basically, you know, a, a, you know, tens of thousands of votes, including, by the way, the, the one of the lawyers who's pushing this, his vote would be thrown out as, quote unquote, illegal because he didn't fill out the form in the right way. They're not actually alleging fraud. They're just going on this technical basis to to do all of this. So based on Bush v. Gore, I'm getting a lot of questions. Can you do a recount in just two counties and just two counties and, and then use that? to change the outcome of, of a statewide election, because I live in say Ozaki County. And so if I didn't fill it out correctly, my ballot will not be challenged. But if I am an African American in Milwaukee and I did the exact same thing, my vote might be thrown out. So what are are the, what are, what are the issues here? So, so I just want to put one pin in what you said earlier about the Michigan certification that's going to happen today, really important point, and whether if the, the Republicans didn't do the, what's a ministerial duty um, and actually certified uh, the count, that it could either go to court, which would be a writ of mandamus, or Gretchen Whitmer could replace them. I just want to remind people, she had a, a kidnapping plot against her, uh, her, her, her physical health and safety and presumably that of her family is has been uh seriously jeopardized it, it's how far we've fallen that that is what she would have to take into account in whether to do her civic duty in this moment to fight back against disenfranchising um michigan voters um so that's just very troubling to me on on the wisconsin pound wisconsin point as i mentioned earlier the, the, the court basically held as a matter of equal protection. So the equal protection clause protects, you know, certain um, categories of people based on race, based on gender, uh, different at, at different um, levels of rigor, I should say. The Supreme Court ma- has basically made up a whole network of law around the equal protection clause. So that don't get me started on, you know, strict reading of the Constitution. Um, but they basically said, you know, you need to have a fairness in terms of how you do a recount. So I think, Charlie, the argument would be uh, to do a recount just on the basis uh, of these two 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 places in uh, in Wisconsin that are heavily um, African American or people of color that that would be potentially a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. But the way law works is that you know you tweak the facts a little bit. So here we're not talking about the process for a recount. We're here we're talking about whether to do the recount itself, which my understanding is under Wisconsin law you can do a partial re- recount. So we don't have a Supreme Court decision on that factual nuance to the Bush versus core decision. So the, the, the end game as much as I can, I can figure out what they're planning on doing is they know they're not going to get all these ballots thrown out, uh, during the recount process that they will immediately go to court, hoping to get to the Wisconsin Supreme court, which is a four, three conservative majority. And then would they ask the Supreme court? I mean, would the Supreme Court throw out the ballots in just those two counties? I mean, I guess I'm also questioning what the remedy is. Right. Because let's say that there are some technical issues, and I'm not conceding this, by the way, technical issues with the absentee applications. Those applications are separated from the actual ballots. So when you say this ballot was improperly sent out, whatever, what is the remedy? Well, it's to take someone else's ballot, your ballot, my ballot. We may have done everything right. And there's a chance that that will be withdrawn and that person will be disenfranchised. So there is also this question of a night. And this is something that the Pennsylvania federal judge talked about, which was you're asking me to throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots. The remedy just doesn't match 
you know, what you are, what you're alleging. I mean, it would have to be so horrific. I have a, just from a reasonable point of view, have a hard time imagining even the most partisan conservative judges being willing to disenfranchise that many people, particularly knowing that it would fall so heavily on the African-American voting population. You know, when you frame it that way, Charlie, what, what just came to me in this moment is the fact that most of these cases, um, when it comes to voting rights, is people that don't have access to the ballot trying to get their votes to count. Uh, And in that instance, there's a lot of deference to the state. If the state could come in and say, listen, we impose this rule, uh, you have to have it postmarked by this date, or it has to be in in the coffers by X date, too bad for you. And generally, it's very hard to win those cases. But there aren't a lot of cases out there where people are coming in saying, throw out ballots Mm -hmm. because they didn't comply with some technicality. And, you know, I agree with you, even though, as I mentioned earlier, there is no affirmative right to vote in the Constitution, uh, in the original Constitution. And that creates a lot of problems, because if that were there, if those words were in the original Constitution, which they're not there in part because the framers left it to the states, they couldn't figure out how to resolve sort of the electoral process. If those words were there, the answer to your question would be clear as a bell. No, you can't just randomly disenfranchise people. But a lot of constitutional scholars, experts think there should be those words in there. There should be a constitutional amendment. But I agree with you. Um, the, the harm to not complying with the technicality is vastly, vastly outweighed by the harm of disenfranchising, basically telling someone you did everything right, but we're not yes. going to count your vote. There's also right. All these doctrines under the law, um, known as sort of estoppel, sort of these fairness doctrines, that if you did everything right, you can't shift horses midstream and now cut um, uh, cut cut things out, cut you out of the electoral process. But okay, this know, is the, yeah, this it comes down to judges. Right. It does come down to judges, and it would go it, to the federal Supreme Court, I think, if that were to wind its way through the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Well, the other thing is the the whole concern on the part of Republicans and conservatives about voter fraud is that someone who votes illegally nullifies a legitimate vote. So, you know, you don't know whether your vote is going to be counted uh, in the same way if, if, there's a, if there's a fraud, if someone steals a, a vote in, in, in effect. And yet for them to be in the posture now of saying, let's literally not count tens of thousands of votes. It's interesting the way this is playing out politically because the, the chairman of the, of the Fond du Lac County Republican Party is a guy named Roan Bishop. And he's actually got a picture of himself um, with, with a Trump Pence sign in his yard. OK, so, you know, he's, he was in there. But he tweeted out yesterday, the worst part of the Republican strategy in Wisconsin is that I've spent a decade supporting Republican laws to to tighten up our elections, voter ID, signing the book, et cetera. I've pushed back against Democrat claims that we Republicans are trying to disenfranchise people. Now here we are trying to disenfranchise people. Yeah. So part of me is going, hey, Roan, if only somebody had warned you about this. But Well, um, I mean, we, we have what, 20,000 20, votes in Wisconsin that Biden yeah. won by. I mean, I also yeah. wonder, what about all the down ballots? I mean, it's one ballot. Does this mean everybody was all the, the, the votes get thrown out for, you know, all the races down ballot? And the other point I want to make yeah. has to do with the, the, you know, I mean, Sidney Powell mentioned, you know, local corruption. You know, the 700,000 plus 
regular Americans who, in the midst of a pandemic, made this election work on November 3rd is absolutely astonishing. And they're still working very, very hard. They're not fraudsters. And I think we owe them a thanks, not this level of disrespect. These are not politicians. These are regular people, regular Wisconsinites that are doing their best and they take their job very seriously. And I think this is partly why we're hearing some pushback from Republicans um, that, you know, at the state and local level, don't tell me that my people are scamming the American public. It's not true. So you you mentioned the the threats against the governor of Michigan, and I think this is another part of what's happening now that we need to talk about. Which is, look, um, they're they're not going to succeed in flipping the election, but they are poisoning the well. They are trying to delegitimize not just uh, President Biden, but they want to delegitimize the entire process. It, it really is interesting watching the protests down in Georgia where you have people saying, if you don't declare Donald Trump the winner, we're not going to support any Republicans ever again. There's a little bit of thuggery, but you know, something happened over the weekend here in Wisconsin. I'm sorry to keep coming back to Wisconsin, but this just blows my mind. So the Republican Party has been holding these, you know, protect the, the ballot, you know, rallies. And they held one over the weekend in a Milwaukee suburb. And you know, one of the local talk show hosts is the MC and the lead speaker is the former sheriff here, David Clark. They brought along the, a contingent of the Proud Boys as security. So they are partnering now with the Proud Boys, this extreme right-wing group of, you know, associated with acts of political violence. They've featured them on local talk radio. The local Republican Party sponsors an event that now features the Proud But This is Wisconsin. This is, we're not talking about Georgia. We're not talking about New Jersey. We're talking about Portland, Oregon. We're talking about, you know, Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. And with every day that passes, I think this the concern of, of violence, uh, the concern of, you know, these, these concerns, you know, have to be taken very, very seriously. There are people who have been, you know, told over and over and over again, this is the Flight 93 election. This is an existential threat. These people hate America. They're stealing your democracy from you. Um, what is the appropriate response if communists are stealing your democracy from you? You know, if you were showing up at rallies with 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 guns, I mean, what could possibly go wrong? So that little anecdote, when I saw that they're now embracing the Proud Boys, this is, again, part of the shift toward not just to the right, but toward the crazy and potentially violent right. Uh, this worries me. And I think it ought to worry people around the country. And what's happened in, in in Michigan, you know, that might turn out to be ground zero. Yeah. I mean, some of us were worried about this happening around Election Day, and it didn't happen in terms of the violence. We had the, you know, the Trump caravans um, going right. through places, you know, side streets in New Jersey where my family lives, for example. But but yeah, I, you know, we've got it's a long way till January 20th. And clearly the, the Trump campaign and Donald Trump wouldn't have any problem stoking additional violence. And some of these people are even saying they're willing to go to civil war. I and mean, we've, we've been there before. We've probably never been this divided since 1860. I'm not saying that's where we're headed, but I agree with you completely, Charlie. This has to be taken very seriously. And we also, I mean, what, what sticks out in my mind as a constitutional law professor, former, uh, you know, worked at, as assistant U.S. attorney, worked in the Whitewater investigation under Ken Starr, I mean, was in government for a long time, was, you know, what happened in Lafayette Square with, mm -hmm. you know, the use of federal force, violence against peaceful protesters and members of the media. And, you know, federal federal uh, law enforcement without insignia that indicates who they are. Uh, that is, there's no federal law requiring that it, that they do that. And that blurring 
of you know, legitimate law enforcement authority and private citizens who want as vigilantes believe they it's their right and 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 it's their prerogative and actually necessity to take the law into their own hands. That's that's toxic. Uh, and this is really why, frankly, this Georgia election is so critical because we, this we need legislation. We need legislation to rein in uh, a lot of this stuff. And we certainly need regis- legislation to fix some of these problems in the in with voting in the electoral system. And I, I fear that this chaos is going to make voting even harder and the legitimacy of elections even harder. And um, it's just it's just made it okay to do this full out assault uh, on the rule of law. And Americans think that, you know, this is our birthright. It's not. It, it could die in our lifetime. What, what we enjoy, these freedoms we enjoy. So let's talk about the U.S. Supreme Court. You're familiar with SCOTUS blog, which is yes. not affiliated with the Supreme Court. It's an independent thing, but they're they're, they're pretty smart people. Yeah, they Tom had Goldstein, uh, yeah. a, a couple of really interesting tweets over the last 24 hours. Uh, Dear real Donald Trump supporters, SCOTUS is not getting involved. We wish it would. What a case. But unfortunately, that is a fever dream of gaslighting insular pro-Trump media that collects your attention, energy, and money by deceiving you into seeing hope where none exists. Um, And let's see here. Uh, They also tweeted yesterday, there is no chance SCOTUS will review the suit dismissed by Judge Brand. This is the one that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Seeking to block Pennsylvania certification, the lawyers representing the president are either delusional or intentionally misleading him and his supporters. So SCOTUS blog folks are saying this is not going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is not going to take this up. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, it's Mm -hmm. garbage of on garbage. I I mean... you don't see a federal judge write a decision like that came out on Saturday. I mean, that's extremely yeah. rare. Those are one of those things as a law professor you find once in 20 years and you wave it every year to your law students because it's so outrageous. There's no way this will go to the okay. Supreme Court. So it, it, I, I, I have a relatively pessimistic view of the way this is all playing out. I mean, it won't it won't flip the election. There is going to be a long term price to be paid about the legitimacy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm looking for least bad alternatives. It occurs to me that that one way to put a dagger in this whole thing would be for the Trump people to try to push this up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court 9-0 saying, no, we're not doing it. So it would at least have that that moment of finality. And and, and it would, would also be in the court's interest in terms of the questions about its independence, its politicization, to basically say, no. It's done. It's over. Is that is that kind of a well exuberance on my part? A little optimism that. Well, I mean, the the Pennsylvania case is not going to, even if it were to go forward, is not going to change the outcome of the election. So we don't have a situation, I think, in any state, unlike Florida in two thousand, where the Supreme Court is in at that pivotal place where they can essentially call the election. So, and we have had Supreme Court decisions that were favorable. to voting rights since the beginning of the pandemic. And it seems like the insanity carries, carries the day. I, I, I was, I'm very troubled. I don't know if you follow this by uh, Justice Toledo's speech before the federal oh, society was, recently, yeah. um, where he got very political. He suggested that, you know, mask or mandates from state governors relating to the pandemic were somehow violations or of the constitution. He mentioned religious rights, the first amendment. I mean, I, I'm not that excited, frankly, uh, 
Charlie, about sending things to the Supreme Court. I think as much as possible, stuff should stay in the legislatures because once this court rules on something as a matter of the Constitution, it's, it functions like an amendment to the Constitution, even though five unelected people actually issued the decision potentially in a split decision because the Constitution's ambiguous. I don't care whether you're conservative or progressive. There's a lot of squishy words in there. And when they interpret it, it's like a footnote to the actual document. It, it, it functions that way unless a new court comes in and changes its mind or there's a constitutional amendment, which is close to impossible in this polarized system that we have right now. So what what should we be watching over the next uh, 48, 76 hours? What are you, what are you looking at? Uh, what should we be paying attention to? I think we should continue to pay attention to these the the calls from Republicans to end this election, because, mm-hmm. at you know, the the. The movement in the joints is really political at this point. It's right. it's. I mean, we've been waiting for this for four years. People to actually stand up for the rule of law. I think that's absolutely critical. The courts are not going to decide this. It's not going to resolve in the courts. It's going to resolve when people lay down their guns and they they embrace truth and they say, okay, it's better for America to have a legitimate election moving forward, um, and to to legitimize this uh, Joe Biden's win. December 8th is a critical date. Of course, certification. Uh, I think Wisconsin's December 1st. All of those dates where the where the final vote is certified are absolutely vital. The 14th is going to be important when the the, the electors cast. And then, of course, we'll all, all eyes on Mike Pence on January 6th and when he's gaveling in. Uh, hopefully, Joe Biden's win. And then, and then I think, as you indicate, well, you're going to have to watch um, how the Trump 70 million Trump voters react to this deep-seated belief in this moment that somehow um, fraud determined this election and whether law enforcement's going to have to come out on behalf, again, of the rule of law and and calm things down and make sure there's no violence. So just so in case people didn't miss it, on January 6th, during what is normally a completely ceremonial occasion, if you have just one member of the House of Representatives and one member of the Senate object to any of the counts, the it, it goes to a congressional debate and vote that day. And in fact, they have a very limited amount of time. Right. But they will have to vote on, you know, what slate of electors will they choose for Michigan or Pennsylvania? Now, again, that is incredibly extreme, but it is not inconceivable that you get one member of the House. I don't know who the member of the Senate would be who would force a vote in that. But um, in, in, in many ways, that's the you know, that that then that does, does that become a litmus test vote? Roll call vote for Republicans on on that. Well, right. yeah, right. and again, to overcome and actually sway uh, the count or certification in a particular state, it require would require Democrats oh, being on board. Um, but if there's no certification from a particular state, then I think that that is that creates some gray area. But again, this is why the more Republicans come out and say, "Listen, it's over," the better it is for yeah. the rest of the country and, frankly, for the world. And you're starting to see this coming from some of the donors, some of the big Wall Street donors uh, to the Republican Party, which has a lot more sway than than uh, than anyone else here. So maybe that will start breaking loose some of the Republican elected officials. Kim Willie, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and sorting all this out for us. We really appreciate it. I always enjoy it, Charlie. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.